Amen. Good to see you here tonight. And if you got your Bibles open up to Psalm chapter 51, we've been doing some lessons on the importance of prayer. And we've talked about how to pray, and we've talked about the prayer of the desperate. And tonight we're going to talk about the prayer of repentance. In fact, we're going to spend a couple of weeks on the prayer of repentance. And you might say to yourself, well, Brother John, you sure do love to touch on the topic of repentance. We've noticed this uh, from a couple of sermons. But I'll tell you, I didn't realize how important repentance was until one day I went to this Bible conference down in Jacksonville, Florida. And there was a man by the name of Richard Owen Roberts. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of him. An older man, probably in his mid-80s. And as he began to walk up to the pulpit, he walked as slow as any man could walk. And I just remember thinking to myself, boy, I'm going to get me a good nap while this guy preaches. I really did. And so I watched him as he walked up, and I thought to myself, I wonder what this guy is going to teach me. Now, he's, he's aged, so he's going to have some great wisdom, but is he really going to be able to share that wisdom with us? And I remember calling my wife up after the message he preached that, that evening, and I told my wife, I said, honey, it was not the most energetic sermon I've ever heard, but it was the most piercing sermon I've ever heard. In fact, I told her, I said, it was as if he took my heart out of my chest and he had a fillet knife, and he just peeled back the layers of my heart. And he just kept peeling back deeper and deeper. And I said, by the time, I remember about halfway through his sermon, I was holding my chest. And then I was holding it with both hands. And I said, when I walked out of there, I hurt so bad that I couldn't, I couldn't leave. I had to get to the altar and hit it and pray and seek God's forgiveness for the things that were going on in my life. It just, it was unbelievable how piercing that message was. And he actually wrote a book that's almost 400 pages thick on repentance. Now, I don't know about you. How can you write 400 pages on repentance? But he spent a lot of time on Psalm 51. And Psalm 51 is by far a tremendous prayer of repentance that we need to take very serious. And I believe if we would get serious about repentance, because after we talk about the prayer of repentance, we're going to go to the prayer of revival. And if we get serious about the prayer of repentance, it won't take much to see revival. Because one of the key components to revival is repentance. It's getting our hearts right with God. Now you think about it in the Lord's Prayer, or as some call it, the model prayer, where Jesus prayed, our Father who art in heaven. Now there's several parts to that prayer. There's the prayer of adoration, the prayer of seeking God's will, the prayer for provision, the prayer for repentance, the prayer for deliverance, and the prayer for praise. And that idea of repentance is found in the Lord's Prayer where he says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now think about that, your debts. How many of you are in debt? Anybody willing to admit you're in debt? How many of you have a house? Anybody have a car payment? Anybody have a credit card? All right. In debt. It just happens. Sometimes you get in debt, and so you know what that means. When you're in debt, you've got to pay it back right? Or they will come take it back, right? They'll take it from you if you don't pay it back, if you don't pay your debts. Now, here's the amazing thing is we owe a debt we can't pay. We've never been able to pay it. There is no amount of good that you could ever do to make up for your sin, all right? Not, not in the least bit. 
And therefore, what we've got is we've got one who went before us, who took all of our sins upon him so that our debt might be paid. He paid a debt he didn't owe. And in paying that debt, here's the thing. The problem is, is we keep getting in debt, don't we? Isn't it amazing how bills just pop out of nowhere? Anybody else have that problem? Maybe your paycheck is spent before you even receive it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? No? Okay. Good for you. All right. If not, that's great. Wonderful. But I'll tell you, it's, it's difficult. And, and a lot of us live like that in our Christian journey where we keep adding debt and more debt and more debt. But the amazing thing is, is the Bible talks about repentance. When we repent, when we confess our sins before God, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. In other words, he just keeps wiping the slate clean over and over and over again. So the prayer of repentance is understanding that we've got to get that slate clean, that we've got to get that debt out of our lives, that we've got to seek his forgiveness. Because here's the truth of the matter. Your money won't pay for your sins. No amount of good works will pay for your sins. Only the blood of Christ covers your sins and makes your relationship right with God. So we want to talk about this idea of a prayer of repentance. And we're going to look at three fundamentals tonight of what it was required for the prayer of repentance. We're going to look at three more next week, all of them found in Psalm 51. But we're going to begin with a plea for forgiveness, starting in verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. The first thing that the prayer begins with is expressing God's character. Have you ever thought that God needs to have mercy on us? His loving kindness towards us. Oh, you think about this. How many times, and, and you can think about Peter's question to Jesus. How many times can my brother sin against me? Seven times, right? That's what Peter said. Seven times. Now, I want you to understand, Peter was going above and beyond modern thought back then. It was three times. Three strikes and you're out, right? He said seven. He doubled it and added one. He wanted it for good measure. Seven meant completion. And Jesus told him, he said, no, 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 no. But 70 times seven. Now, for you mathematicians, that's 490. I know y'all just want to multiply it out there, right? And I love it how some Christians think. They, They literally think that what Jesus was implying was that 490 times is the number that you can forgive people. 491, you're done with them. It's over, right? I mean, I, you, you would think that some people deal like that, that they sit there and they count that. That's one. That's two. All right, they get 490. You do it one more time, we can't be friends anymore. Could you imagine if God counted your sins? Where would you be in that count? The thousands? Ten thousands? Hundred thousands? You see, isn't it amazing that the expression of forgiveness is an expression that we're called to give towards other people as well. Jesus said, if you forgive what? We pray, forgive us our debts as what? As we forgive our debtors. In fact, you go a little bit further down after his prayer is over, and he says, if you show forgiveness to others, then I'll show forgiveness to you. But if you don't show forgiveness to others, I will what? Not show forgiveness to you. You see, 
the idea is we need God's mercy. God is so merciful because he forgives again and again and again. And people always love to look at Jonah and say, well, he's the God of the second chance. That's true, but he's also the God of the third, the fourth, the thousandth, the ten thousandth, the hundred thousandth. How many ever times we need, he is the God of grace and mercy. And every time we fail, we fall on the mercy seat of God. Isn't it amazing that the instrument, the Ark of the Covenant, on the top of the covenant was this seat of mercy? Isn't that interesting that that was the focal point? That that is where God sat. That was the image of where God's presence was on the mercy seat. Which means he desires to show mercy to us every time we fail. The problem is, is oftentimes we think that God is seated up there and he's not ready to give, extend mercy to us. And so we just keep sinning. And we just think, well, you know, I've already started this list. I might as well just keep going. Or we might just have the problem like they did in the book of Romans. The idea in Romans was, uh, he talks about in Romans chapter 6, he says, shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? He says, certainly not. In other words, the idea was, the more sinful I am, the more gracious God looks, so it looks great to the world. No, the problem is, if you've died to sin, you're supposed to put that old man away. You're not supposed to keep carrying on in that sin. But the great thing is, is we have the grace and the mercy of God that will cover all our sins. That's God's character. But look at man's need. He asks for three things. Number one, he says, blot out my transgressions. The idea of blotting out, you know, if you think about it, how many of you have ever seen an ink blot? You know, the idea is just kind of, if you've ever written something down, aren't you thankful for whiteout? You know what I'm talking about? You ever made that mistake? You wrote that big, long paper? And thankfully, now computers, they just keep it all on there so you can just delete if you need to. You can go back and correct any misspellings and all that thing. But the idea of blotting out was in biblical times, guess what? When you wrote on a papyrus reed with the ink, guess what happened? It was there. They didn't have erasers. Aren't you thankful for the guy that invented the eraser? He knew we messed up. But what they would do is they would blot it out. In other words, they'd scratch it. Now, you've probably seen it where you wrote something out and you just kind of scratch one line through it. But if you really don't want somebody to see it, what do you do? Right? You'll get out a Sharpie right across it. You know, Whatever you got to do to cover it up. I don't want them to see what I wrote there. That's the idea of blotting out. In other words, it means to remove it completely and he's saying God I want you to remove my guilt my sin completely from me not only does he want him to blot it out but he says wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity the idea of washing is the idea of washing clothes how many of you wash clothes have you washed clothes all right very good 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 I'm so thankful you wash your clothes all right but you think about this they get dirty you wash them how many of you use spray and wash yeah, if you go eat Mexican food, you will be using spray and wash because salsa will get on you. It's just going to happen. All right? It's going to happen. And so you have to spray it on there to wash your clothes to get it completely clean. There's nothing like stained clothes, right? The idea is removing all the stains. When he says, wash me, what he's talking about is an external washing. We all fail externally, don't we? We all have sins that we commit externally, that we put into action. He's talking about cleanse me, remove me, wash me on the outside. But here's the truth of the matter. The outside's not all that needs to be cleansed, is it? Because look at what he says next. And cleanse me from my sin. The idea of cleansing is an internal cleansing. It's a ceremonial law of purification. 
You know, Jesus used the example before the Pharisees and he talked about the cup. How many of you would, if I brought you a cup and it was a glass and it was dirty on the outside and I poured water in it, would drink it? No. Okay, well, if you had a choice between a glass that was dirty on the outside or one that was dirty on the inside and I poured water in it and you had to drink one of them, which would you choose? The one dirty on the outside. Why? Because you're drinking what's on the inside. And the idea is this. There are a lot of people who have cleaned the outside of the cup, but internally they're disgusting. You see, there are internal sins in our lives as well. You realize Jesus dealt with a lot of those sins when he dealt with them about in the thought, in the mind, in the heart. He said adultery begins where? In the heart when we lust. Murder begins where? In the heart when we begin to have hatred or anger towards someone. You see, there are internal sins that God has to deal with. Here's the thing. God does expect you to have a clean mind. A lot of people think, well, it's okay if it's up here. Well, can I just, now here's, let me me say this, because I want to get this out there, okay? I've had a lot of people make this statement. They said, well, if I've already thought it, I might as well do it. No, 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 that's, don't go that far either, all right? What God wants you to do is God wants you to take care of it up here before it comes out here. God wants you to take care of it in here before you express it in your life. You see, the truth of the matter is we want God to cleanse us externally and internally. We want him to completely clean us. We want the glass to be clean on the outside and the inside. We want it looking good, so if we're going to drink from it, God wants you looking good if he's going to use you. You see, that's the idea of repentance. We have a plea for forgiveness. We want God to cleanse us completely. Number two, there's a confession of sin. Look at verse three. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Think about confession. I want to ask you this question. How many of you have ever forgotten something you did that was wrong? I want to ask another question. I want you to think about this long and hard. How many of you have ever prayed like this? You, you pray and ask God to forgive you for some sins that you remember, and then you pray something like this. And God, forgive me for every sin that I've forgotten. You ever prayed that? That's called a blanket cover of confession. It's not biblical. It's not. You say, well, what do you mean it's not biblical? Repentance is acknowledging your sin, and if you don't know what you did, you're not acknowledging it. You're just trying to cover over it. That's not what God wants to do. You have to acknowledge it. That's what David says. He says, for I acknowledge my transgressions. You know what a transgression is? A transgression is you know what God's standard is, and yet you stepped over it anyways. That's more than missing the mark. The word sin, hamartia, is talking about missing the mark. The word for transgression means you know what the law is and you stepped over it. He says, I acknowledge my transgressions. I acknowledge what I've done wrong. And my sin is ever before me. In other words, if I've sinned, it ought to stay on my conscience. It ought to bug me until I make things right with God. That's why I talked about that prayer about Bertha Smith. If you've ever forgotten some sins and you begin to pray, God, open up the secrets of my heart. Reveal to me the sins that I've not confessed. And boy, when he pours it out there for you, that's a good thing because it frees you from that sin when you confess it and you acknowledge it and you repent of it. David understood how important it was. You think about this. 
David's sin had to be pointed out to him. You see, this prayer comes right after what? After the death of his son. When did that happen? That happened after his sin with Bathsheba. You remember what happened with Bathsheba? Well, if you don't remember, I'll kind of inform you. David goes up on the rooftop. It's the time that kings should be out to battle. And what's David doing? He stays home. Can I tell you something? Being idle is never a good thing. When you're idle, it gives you a chance to do things you should not do. David should have been at war, and instead he was idly at home. He goes up on his rooftop. Guess what? He's up on his rooftop. He's over the entire city, and he sees a woman out there bathing. Now, let me tell you something about this, all right? Sometimes you can't help what you see, but you can help what you continue to see. You might braze across something. You may be flipping through the channels and accidentally see something. Keep flipping. Don't go back. You see, I've learned a long time ago, you may not be able to help some of the things you see, but you can help what you behold. Because after he saw her, it says he beheld her. Then he began to question about her. Found out she was married to another man. One of his own soldiers in his army. One of his mighty 30 men. But he wanted her. So he took her. She got pregnant. The plot thickens, right? So what has he got to do? Well, he's king, so he's got to find a way to cover up his sin. How many of you have ever tried to cover up your sin? Nobody, just me. I'll admit it, I've tried it before. Never works. He tries to cover it up. He has Uriah come back from battle. He tells Uriah, go home. Uriah won't go home. What does he do the next night? He gets Uriah drunk. Tries to send him home. He won't go home. So what does he do? He sends a letter with Uriah telling the captain to put him at the forefront of the battle and withdraw for him so that he dies. And that's what happened. He killed Uriah. And then what does he do? He lets Bathsheba mourn his death, and then he marries her trying to cover it up. But let's just be honest. We all can put the numbers together, right? By the time he married her, she was probably at least three months pregnant. She has the baby within six months. They're all going, yep, we got it. We know it. But he tried to cover it up. Just like so many of us try to cover up our sins. What happens? The prophet Nathan has to come to him. And the prophet Nathan tells him a story. And it's an unusual story, and it's about sheep. Right? And he talks about a guy who had a whole bunch, but because he didn't want to give up one of his own, Because David, you know how many wives David had at that time? I think he had six. Can I tell you something? One's enough. I do not believe in polygamy. One is enough. I can barely handle the one I got. She's not here. You better not tell her. But you think about it. He tried to cover it up. Nathan comes to him and expresses it. Here's the great thing about it. Nathan goes to him out of love. Do you get that? Nathan goes to him out of love because that's his king. He wants to see David restored, and David recognizes his sin after it's revealed to him. And thus we have Psalm 51, which is David's confession of his sin, his acknowledgement of that sin. But here's the sad thing. Somebody had to bring it to his attention. I'll just be honest with you. Sometimes we need brothers and sisters in Christ to bring it to our attention about our sin. 
Don't get angry if somebody comes to you and points out a sin in your life. If they come to you in love, they're doing Matthew 18. Matthew 18 says if you see your brother in sin, you go to them. You don't go to everybody else in the church. You don't come to the pastor. Oh, I want you to pray for so-and-so. So-and-so did such-and-such. No, you don't come tell me that. You go to that person and tell them in hopes that they'll repent and get their heart and life right with the Lord. That's what we're called to do. Nathan did it for David. Not only do we see confession, we see responsibility in verse 4. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. we got to understand, yes, we may do others wrong, but every time we sin, we fail God. Can I tell you the toughest words I ever had to hear out of my mother's mouth? You disappointed me. Anybody else feel the sting of that when they say that? I saw a little boy just raise his hand like, yes. Yes, I know what you're talking about. There was nothing worse for my parents to say to me than, you've disappointed me. Almost like you expected good from me and I failed. Not, well, I thought you'd do that. But you disappointed me. David understood that sting of disappointing God when he sinned. And he recognized that his sin was against God. Not any man, not even woman, but against God. And he wanted to make things right with him. Now here's the thing. If you sin against, if you do something wrong to another brother, you should go and apologize to them. You absolutely should. But after you apologize to them, you need to repent before God because it was a sin to him. In verse 5, we see its nature. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Please understand that David wasn't trying to be like the Pharisees when the Pharisees thought somebody sinned. In other words, that that person was born in sin. We're born in sin because every one of us in here, you ready for this, has a sin nature. We have a tendency towards sin. We were born with a sin nature, and everybody goes, oh, well, we can blame Adam. Yeah, that's true. We can blame Adam for our sin nature. But if you were in Adam's shoes, you'd have done the same thing. Everybody is born with a conscience toward sin. That's sad, isn't it? You don't believe me? It doesn't take babies long to learn how to sin. Did you know that? Listen to the first time they tell their parents, no. They love that word when they learn it. Right? It's just, it's easy. From even infancy, people know how to sin. We don't have to be taught how to sin. We have a sin nature. David said, I was conceived in sin. He wasn't trying to blame his sin nature. He was simply accepting who he was. And then he speaks truth in verse 6. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. God just wants you to speak truth when you repent. There's no, isn't it funny how we try to hide things from God? How many of you ever remember saying this to your parents? Well, I didn't mean to do it. You might have got away with that with your parents, but God knows your heart. God knows your true intentions. Why lie to God and make it worse? I learned a long time ago, my mom, when I come home from school, especially middle school, when I come home from school, she'd just look at me and she'd go, what'd you do? And I had to think real hard. I was like, what did I do today? And who saw me? Who ratted on me? Who told on me? And I I would just tell her what I did that day. Well, I I talked back to a teacher. Oh, well, I did this. I just went ahead and told her because my mom told me this. 
if you lie, you get spanked for what you did wrong, and you get spanked for the lie. So it was just better to go ahead and tell the truth. Why do we think we can lie to God and he's not going to see that? David said, you desire truth in the inward parts. Why? Because you're not going to get away with lying to God. He already knows the truth. He already saw what you did. Even if you do it in the dark, he saw it. You can't hide it from him. So why try? Just speak truth before him. Finally, let's look at a plea for cleansing. Beginning in verse 7, we see purging. He says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. The idea of the hyssop branch was used in Levitical law that they would oftentimes, they would sprinkle the blood. They'd sprinkle it on the altar. Sometimes they sprinkled it on people. And it was an idea of a cleansing ritual that took place. He says, purge me with hyssop. In fact, leprosy was kind of like this. You, you think about this. When somebody contracted leprosy, they would remove them from the community. They would have to go off on their own. They would live in leprosy cities, little towns outside the city. They couldn't go in. They couldn't be around people. But then all of a sudden, when they would get cleansed, they were allowed to come back in. And here's the idea when he's saying, purge me with hyssop. It is allowing me back into the fellowship with God. Allowing me to be back into fellowship with God. And it's awesome also that he makes a statement. He says, make me whiter than snow. I shall be whiter than snow. You ever thought about the way God forgives? Psalm 103 tells us what? That he casts our sins as far as the east is from the west. Micah chapter 7, verse 19 says he casts it into the sea. In other words, the idea is it's forgotten. It's taken away. It's removed. So right now he's praying, God, purge me with hyssop. Cleanse me. Make me white once again. Verse 8, he says, make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. In other words, there's rejoicing. You want to know why there's rejoicing? There's rejoicing because peace has been restored in that relationship. Anybody in here ever broken a bone? I've broken several. All right. What he says here, he says, make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. The bones which thou hast broken. When you sin, God will punish us. He wants to make that clear in this passage. God will restore. He'll reset the bones. In other words, he'll bring the joy back in. But God will punish us if we are his. Hebrews 12 talks about that, right? It talks about that, that he disciplines the kids, the children that are his. But he won't mess with others. I wonder how many of you have ever been in Walmart and wanted to spank somebody else's kids. Right? There have been numerous kids. I go through Walmart and I'm like, man, I can pick out a whole bunch I'd love to discipline. I got a belt. Let's take care of it. But I won't touch anybody else's kids. Why? I'll whip my belt off and tear mine up real quick in a heartbeat right there in a the store. I've done that before. But I won't touch anybody else's kids. You know why? They'll call the cops on me. And rightly so. They're not mine. God will discipline you if you're his. So if you're getting away with sin... You might want to question whether you're his. Because he's not going to discipline you if you're not. Here he talks about, he says what? He says, the bones, you will what? That the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. In other words, you will fix what you have broken. 
Number nine, the hiding. It says, hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. When he's talking about hiding there, he's not talking about hide so that you never see what I do wrong. What he's basically talking about is hide your face from my sins. In other words, cleanse them, remove them so that they are no longer before you. Isn't it amazing that when God forgives you, it's gone, wiped away? I love a song by a contemporary artist, and he goes back and he talks about it. He says, he brings up this sin, and, and basically the song is God's speaking back to him. He says, what sin? What sin? I've already removed it as far as the east is from the west. In other words, oftentimes we think we've got to repent and repent and repent and ask God to forgive and forgive and forgive. And oftentimes God is going, I've already forgiven that. Why do you keep asking me to forgive that when I've already cleansed it? When I've already removed it. You don't know why? Because some people have a hard time forgiving themselves more than anybody else. They have a hard time letting go more than anybody else. But here he says, what? Hide thy face from my sins. In other words, remove them and blot out all my iniquities. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart. I wonder how many of us would take it serious and recognize how dirty our hearts are. Look at verse 11. I like this one. Cast me not away from the presence and take not the Holy Spirit from me. People have used that in a very wrong way a lot of times. It's not about losing your salvation. But it is about losing favor with God. It's the same thing that happened to Saul. You think about King Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 15. What happened with Saul? Saul didn't abide by God. He didn't kill Agag and he didn't kill all the Amalekites. And because he didn't do what God had asked him to do, because he brought back part of the sheep and the the bulls. And and he said, Samuel, when he met him, he said, what is this bleeding of sheep I hear? He said, oh, I brought them back for a sacrifice. And God said, that's not what I asked for. You were supposed to wipe them out. Every last one of them, including all of their animals. You weren't supposed to bring, oh, but, but sacrifice. He goes, is it not better to obey than to sacrifice? And Samuel had to tell Saul, God has removed his hand from you. In fact, when you read it in 1 Kings chapter 16 and verse 14, you find that God had removed his spirit from Saul. That's why that evil spirit fell on Saul. And so David had to come and play the harp to what? Remove that evil spirit from him. Why? Because the Holy Spirit had left him, had left the anointing on him. That's not to say that Saul lost his grace from God. It's that Saul lost his favor with God. And David said, I don't want that to happen to me. I remember what you did to Saul. Oh God, don't let it happen to me too. Don't remove your hand from me. I wonder how many of us would pray that. God, I don't want you to remove your hand from me. Most people would say, no, I just don't want God to send me to hell. I'm good with everything else. Just let me get into heaven by the skin of my teeth. I want God's hand of favor on me in everything I do. I don't want to lose that. And that's what David was praying here. God, don't cast thy presence away from me and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Verse 12 says, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Restore the joy. In other words, you can't have joy when you're not in fellowship with God. You're not in fellowship with God when you're holding on to sin. You can't have things right with God. And therefore, the prayer of repentance is a recognition of our sins, a prayer of deep-seated truth with God that we want things made right. Can I tell you the prayer of repentance is not easy? Because I'm going to be honest with you. There are things that sometimes I don't want to confess. How about you? 
There are things I wouldn't want other people to hear. I'm embarrassed that God hears them. How about you? See, I'm just, I'm just an honest guy. I'm not going to lie to you. There's no point in that. We all have sin. And every one of us fails. But the truth of the matter is, here's what God wants to see. He wants to see us getting closer and closer to Jesus every single day of our lives and get it further and further away from our sin. And a part of that is this prayer of repentance where we beg God and we plead with God and we seek God and we desire for God's favor to remain on us and we are truthful in our prayers to God admitting what we've done. And it may be hard, but I'm here to tell you it's the most amazing prayer And the most amazing response you'll get from that prayer. Because God will make you white as snow. We love to sing that song. But I wonder how many of us have a cleansed heart like that. We do if we're willing to confess all our sins. All our iniquities. And to be truthful with God about our intentions behind those things as well. My question tonight is, how sincere is your repentance? I'm going to tell you, when that guy preached that night, I went and heard, he didn't even have to give an invitation. I just almost ran to the altar. The reason being is I sat back and I had to think about the sin that was on my heart, the things that I had done to God, and all I knew is I wanted to get right with God. I didn't want to wait. I got back to my room that night. Instead of flipping on the television and watching a football game, I opened up that book and started reading. And I just couldn't put it down. I wanted to dig deeper into repentance and see what it was that I needed to do. I wanted to make things right with God. I wanted to make sincere everything that I had spelled out to God. I wanted to make sure that I was doing everything God desired for me to do, that my relationship would be right with Him. I didn't waste time with it. A lot of people don't recognize how important the altar is. I'll tell you why I think the altar is important. Because I'm just going to be honest with you. If you leave here not taking care of it before you leave, you won't take care of it when you get home. And if you're more concerned about somebody else seeing you go down there and worried that somebody might think you're a dirty sinner, join the club. Join the club. Join the club. 